Hello and welcome to episode number 336 Armin Show podcast, content creation, creativity, science, nonfiction, books, authors, all that. On this one here, we have one of my, you can say fellow podcasters, content creators, a lot of books in this individual's world. We have the creator of The Rewired Soul, Chris Boutet. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Armin. I've been I've been a longtime fan. Love, love your podcast local support between one another. Now, you have a variety of things you have done and made. Tell us about The Rewired Soul and how you got there in, in your description. Yeah, uh, so yeah, I, I originally started with YouTube. Well, I've, I've written for most of my life. I, I love writing and just getting my ideas out there and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, I started really making a name for myself on YouTube when I started The Rewired Soul. I was working in an uh, addiction treatment center uh, because I'm a recovering drug addict. I got sober in 2012 and I was working in treatment and treatment can be really expensive. So I'm like, why don't I make something for free that anybody can access and discuss what we teach in treatment, you know, about mental health, about addiction recovery, made content for families and stuff like that too. Um, but yeah. I did that. Uh, I had a little bit of a downfall with YouTube from a uh, good old fashioned, uh, you know, cancel culture, online mob, whatever it is. Uh, really wanted to figure out what I want to do. But when that happened is when I really got into books and reading. I just, you know, I've always been a psychology nerd. My mom's a psychologist. I've always been fascinated with human behavior. And uh, when, when I had hundreds of thousands of people coming after me online, I was like, what's happening? What is it? You know, I'm like, uh, so I started reading books on group psychology, crowd psychology, uh, just um, philosophy. Like I got really into moral philosophy and I, I just, I kept having questions. So I started reading more books and then eventually I was like, well, not all my questions are being answered. So how about I start a podcast, see if these authors want to come on. So yeah, that's kind of where I landed. So I still write uh, quite a bit. I just wrote a Substack piece uh, this morning. Um, but, but yeah, I love just learning and talking and all that fun stuff. Now, there are many stages to your content creation, we could say, as tends to be the case with content creators. Beforehand, there was YouTube. And what what did you like to do on there? What category do you tend to go into? Mm. And what was it like prior to the current content? Yeah, so uh, I, I started on YouTube. I, I've I'm, I'm an introvert. Like a lot of people don't think I'm introverted because I do the podcast and I'm very like charismatic and stuff, but I, I don't go out. I don't like hanging out in front of, uh, with people. Um, like I live in Las Vegas. I do not go down to the strip or anything, but when I worked at the treatment center, I had to do groups and it was a big treatment facility. Like our inpatient program had about 150 to 200 people. And sometimes I would have like most of the clients in there. So over a hundred people and I'd be standing up there by myself. So I had to get over that. Right. And, um, I, I did groups. Uh, sometimes I was doing, uh, groups every single day of the week, but anyways, as I started to notice that people kind of, uh, in, uh, liked and could connect with what I was saying, like the way I taught about addiction and recovery and shared my personal story, I was like, well, I guess I can turn on a camera and do this on YouTube. So, you know, um, I, I've done, you know, I started doing content. Parts of it was about my story to see what people can learn from it. Um, at that time, I was reading a lot of books on mental health, just uh, depression, anxiety, addiction, personality disorders, all that kind of stuff. And I, I really enjoyed the research. So I tried to, you know, I, as you probably know, having a lot of academics come on, there's sometimes a communication issue. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I could take this research and explain it in a more accessible way. So that's something I've always liked doing. But eventually, what helped my channel blow up, I was kind of pulling in mainstream topics and intertwining that in with research. You know what I mean? Like, oh, hey, like there's actually studies about this. So, for example, if I were to make something today, it'd be like, we're looking at political polarization. Well, what's the research say about it? And it helps people understand because a lot of us, we assume we understand human behavior, but we don't realize how much evolutionary psychology comes into play and, uh, you know, all these other things and the way we reason, you know? So I like seeing it through that lens because it helps us have a little bit more empathy for each other and realize that we're not just 
evil people who disagree with each other, but there's like reasons we evolved this way. You know what I mean? So that's really the type of content I like making to help people un better understand other people, you know? I noticed this theme across from early on when you were putting out content is that one differentiator between you and others is you're happy to include people along the way and this is what's happening at the moment and you're like taking people through your attempts at trying this or reaching out to that person or whatever it is along the way whereas other people that part will be closed off and then they'll just mm. put up the image of what looks great but the behind the scenes is left out until maybe 10 years later they'll say this is what was behind the scenes but it's useless then because now people have moved on probably to the next thing yeah so it's not common that someone does that why do you have an interest in helping along the way that, that or that's connecting interesting. <laughs> that's interesting so i guess there's a few reasons um so one of my mentors and you know i'll shout him out for anybody who's a creative entrepreneur if you create stuff and you want to maybe make a little money while doing it um, my mentor and good friend uh, roberto blake um so he's a big youtuber he has like five hundred thousand subscribers and he teaches people and that's how I came across him and we developed a friendship over time but he's very transparent he teaches people he educates people he wants to help people and something I learned in 12-step programs when I got sober was the best thing for me is to help other people right so I I really try to be transparent about what I do and uh, the challenges you know you never know what can help somebody else right because for example when I got sober like throughout my addiction right we have this uh, in, in 12 step rooms, they call it terminal uniqueness. We think our problems are just our own. Nobody else deals with this. And I started, I started realizing like, no, that's not true. It's just people don't talk about this stuff. So even if it's just me creating content, it's like, hey, here's some of the struggles that I run into. Here are some of the things I notice. So like a lot of it is just maybe it'll help somebody. So if they're running into a roadblock while they're creating content, but on the other side of it too, one of the reasons I, I share, you know, maybe overshare about some of the frustrations I have with just, you know, creating content, because none of us create content and don't want anybody to see it. Like we want it to get out there into the world and connect with somebody. But um, I share some of those frustrations because I feel like there's this, uh, you know, it's kind of, we, we need people to peek behind the curtain because you can, you know, listen to the biggest podcast or watch the biggest TV shows but if you don't understand that there's a certain lack of meritocracy involved and things like that, like it kind of shines a broader light on systemic issues within the world as well, you know, because usually you need to be connected to this person to get here. Like if you really pay attention, if you look at the top podcasts, the top news programs, whatever it is, it's the same circle of people all rotating, right? And uh, so, so there's two reasons I try to be transparent about it. One is to help people. One is so people can get a look behind the scenes and maybe be like, wait a second, maybe these systems aren't quite, you know, working and, and lifting up all voices, you know? I've thought to myself that there's a lack of support for those individuals because those who are in the group who are helping themselves, they're like, hey, we don't like you. And then those who are uh not in that group and also not content but like down here in the audience they're thinking hey this person's just saying a lot these people are not so uh full of uh so yeah. what is that so you don't get much support even though you might be the only one that's really showcasing what's occurring so it's yeah. like a penalization of sorts for being informative but some yeah. of us that's all we can choose to be because it fits our framework we're like I don't like yeah. this. That was the case. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind is you mentioned sober. What's the difference between uh, you currently sober versus you, let's say, had you never had any substances ever? What would you say is the difference? Mm. Yeah. So there's a lot of like lingo that gets tossed around in the recovery world. I, I try to keep it simple uh, because I can overcomplicate everything, but, but yeah. So like, you know, I'm, you know, quote in recovery or I'm, you know, sober. Um, and basically uh, the reason why I personally, like there's a lot of people who do this as well, but for me, it, you know, I, I use those words to remind myself, you know, like I live in Las Vegas, I can go find alcohol and drugs wherever I want. Right. 30 so it's seconds. Like, 
Yeah, like it's it, you know there's like there's there's slot machines in like gas stations. Like that's how crazy this city could be for people who haven't been here. So there's drugs, alcohol everywhere. So it's a daily reminder to me when I use words like sober or in recovery that hey Chris, you got a problem. It's almost like if I was allergic to peanuts, I want to remind myself, hey, stay away from peanuts. Um, but yeah, there are people who never touch the stuff, you know, and they, they're abstinent. But I don't think like someone, you know, like, for example, here in Las Vegas, there's a lot of Mormons, there's a lot of people just based on their religion, they don't drink or anything like that. But I don't think they would say like, I'm sober, right? They would just say something simple, like, I don't, no, I don't drink. I don't, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? So I think that's that's where, like, uh, you know, the language kind of changes a little bit. Makes sense. Now, in one of your many elements, you have been canceled on the YouTube, and you wrote a book about it, among many other books that you've written, including ebooks, which is great. And I kind of want to get into that a little bit of the writing of ebooks. But mm -hmm. before that, canceled inside YouTube cancel culture, what should we know? About <laughs> so the reason the reason i wrote that like it's like i hate using the word and i've said this anytime anybody asks me about it, i hate using the word trauma uh traumatizing traumatic or whatever uh i only use it because i can't think of a better word it's the word my therapist used you know whatever but um anyways when it happened uh it, there's nothing there's nothing to fully explain it until it happens to you which i don't wish it on my worst enemy but anyways, I remember going to a YouTube event and this woman was talking about uh, her, uh, she was a speaker and it was more of like a public shaming, right? Like uh, she was a host of some show and they like took a clip and they like really sexualized her or something like that. But anyway, she started getting shamed for it. But she talked about like taking back the narrative. So when I was at the event and I heard her say that, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to write my story, right? From my perspective, because when this when this happens to anybody, you lose control of the narrative. Like I had literally probably like hundreds, and that might be an underestimate, uh, hundreds of people making videos about me saying, you know, judging my character, making up lies about me. Like it got so bad. People were saying that I was telling depressed people in my audience that they should commit suicide. Like things got really wild. So I wrote the book to kind of take back that narrative. I tried to the best of my ability at that time to highlight where I thought I did screw up, but also to show like, hey, this is bad, this is toxic, this doesn't help anybody, right? So um, I, I do think like, uh, you know, YouTube cancel culture is much different like than what people see. Like I, I, I never used to be on Twitter and now Twitter's like my main platform. And like what happens on Twitter is so much different than YouTube. And I don't think a lot of people really understand because in YouTube, on YouTube, there's uh, uh, there's this virality that can come and the way the algorithm really pushes that thing. Like, for example, like just to differentiate Twitter from YouTube, right? If somebody is getting canceled on Twitter, I might never come across it. Or if somebody I follow is getting canceled on Twitter, I might never know unless they're trending or unless that person says something. But on YouTube, they recommend videos, right? So what happens is, is say somebody types in like, how to get sober, boom, my video pops up. And then on the side, there's 10 recommended videos. And it's like, Rewired soul is the worst person on earth. Rewired, you know. What? So, so that's why. So, YouTube's algorithm, I think, more than any other algorithm out there, and it's not talked about enough. The YouTube algorithm really promotes uh, this kind of mob mentality and cancel culture. Like, it fuels it. Even though YouTube is always saying, like, "Oh, we're trying to update things to like be against bullying and harassment," and it, I, I, you know, this happened three years ago like this month, I really haven't seen too many changes. Um, and, and yeah, so, but yeah, in the, in the book, I just kind of take back my narrative. I, I always think about rewriting it because I've learned so much just about human nature and psychology and everything like that. But that thing's just mainly like a, a memoir of a portion of my life. You know what I mean? That's cool. You have also written multiple mental health books. What categories of mental health are the areas you would want to focus on or uh, what causes you to speak about? 
so the first book I wrote was called Hope, and it was it's like Hope, how I overcame you know addiction, depression, and anxiety, and that was a sort of it was like half memoir, half like self help ish. Um, because I lay out my story and then I really discuss like what helped me, you know, from 12 step meetings, what I learned in them. I really love the book um, from Russell Brand called Recovery, because he does a great job explaining how even if you're not a drug addict or alcoholic, these like 12 steps, like they're, they're pretty good, like they're pretty good tools just for life. And I, I kind of, uh, I think I wrote mine before I read his book, but they're, they're similar in that respect. Uh, and, you know, I wanted to show people like, for example, like how meditation helped me, like learning about mindfulness and how it helped me manage emotions and deal with anxiety and all these other things um, and things that I learned from the 12 steps. So I wrote about that. My second book was called Caught in the Crossfire because something I learned working in addiction treatment is, um, you know, uh, even in my own life, for every one addict, there's an entire group of people who are affected by it, right? Friends, family members, coworkers, children, Right. So I wrote that book to help people who have a drug addict or alcoholic in their life, because you have to maintain your mental health, even if somebody in your life is struggling, because oftentimes, you know, we make way too many sacrifices, like while, while there is this kind of give and take. Right. Um, and then sometimes a lot of mistakes are made in, in the way we enable somebody and we don't realize we're enabling them because a lot of people think enabling is just oh, if I buy them drugs or alcohol, it's like, no, if you're providing them with money, like, for example, with my story, my, my parents weren't giving me money for drugs, but I would spend all my money on drugs and then they'd give me money for rent. You know what I mean? So it was, it was like enabling that behavior in a certain way. So I talk a lot about in that book about setting up boundaries, how to maintain your mental health while also trying to help the person. Um, but then, uh, you know, I struggled with anxiety for most of my life. So one of my books is Rewire Your Anxiety. Um, and I talk about the science, some things that have helped me, some things that science say helps, you know, and then uh, the other one was Rewire Your Anger. Because I used to have a lot, I'm a very happy guy these days, but it didn't used to be that way. <laughs> I used to be a very angry guy. And uh, as you look around the world, a lot of people are angry. So I wrote that one to help people with some anger management tools that i i used if you met your past angry self what would that interaction be like you meet him <laughs> uh yeah it, it would just uh it something you know it would be part of the life philosophy i live by now it's just like you know things aren't that big of a deal you know what I mean? uh you know because uh there were so many small things just someone being rude to me at the store in the morning would ruin my entire day. I would obsess and dwell on it. I couldn't let things go, you know? And uh, there's something about being, you know, uh, like I, I almost died because of my addiction. And when you, when you have that kind of near death experience, like you really don't sweat all the small little things anymore. Like, so today, if something kind of frustrates or irritates me, I'm like, Hey, you know, I could die tomorrow, so I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna let that bother me. You know what I mean? So, right. so yeah. So it's like let stuff go and don't don't sweat those little things. You know, it's a cool feature. Yeah. It's crazy to think like sometimes a person could not be there, and then these eighteen thousand things wouldn't have happened because of that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, speaking of eighteen thousand things, if anybody reads more than Chris Butte, I don't know who they they are because. Some people read quite a bit, and that is Chris Butte. I read quite a bit too, but as far as numbers of books and content, tell us a little bit about your reading backstory. Did you used to read a lot before? How much now, and what categories? Yeah, so it's uh, it, it's it's funny. When I was a kid, I I loved to read. My dad and I. Um, he worked, uh, we lived in California, we lived in Southern California in Santa Barbara. And he had to travel all over like Central and Southern California. And I'd always be reading in the car, because he'd have to do work stuff on the weekend sometimes. So I used to read a ton, mainly fiction. And then, you know, I think it was just school, and them telling you what you had to read, like when they gave me the Great Gatsby and you know, books like that. I'm like, you know, I, I was like, this is interesting, but it's not what I want to read. So like, the whole forcing reading on me, like, got me away from books so I didn't read like from high school until just the last like five six years maybe um and what happened was I actually it's what I wrote about in my Substack piece this morning was when I got sober 
I realized how little I know, right? Because I, a lot of us, you know, we think we, we, we all like to think that we know everything, right? We're, we're very certain, we're sure about things. We know ourselves, we know other people. Like, for example, the fact that we think that we can like tell when someone's lying like is crazy, right? We get fooled all the time. <laughs> like we have such confidence in these things. But anyways, um, I I first got back into books when I was about two years sober, and I was I was having like a pity party. I'm like, why me? Why do I? Why can't I go with people after work to go have some beers and stuff? And I'm like, I want to learn the science of addiction. So I grabbed a book called Clean by David Sheff. A lot of people know him from his book, Beautiful Boy, that they turned into a movie. Um, but I read his book, Clean, and it laid out the science of addiction for me. Some of it's contested and things like that, which I didn't realize until I started reading more books later. But it educated me. Like, I was like, I have questions about addiction. Here's a book about it, right? Then I started asking, like, well, what about depression, right? What about anxiety? Like, there's so many smart people out there who have dedicated their lives to certain topics, and they've put it all in a book just for us, just for us to read. Like, how crazy is that? So any question I had, I realized that there was a book for it. And so I, I used to read physical copies of the book. I used to have to ride the bus like an hour and a half to work. So I would just read on the bus. But now um, I, you know, like back then I was reading like maybe 10 books a year. Uh, then, you know, like four, maybe four years ago, I read like 60 or 70 books when I started going to audiobooks because Something I realized was like, a lot of us try to build, not everybody, but a lot of us like to have a bookshelf just to show people how much we read. And I was like, wait a second, that's kind of silly of me. Like the goal of reading is to learn. So why don't I just listen to books? Cause I'm a slow reader. Like I am so slow when I read, like uh, I, I can't even explain how slow people read, who but... don't know Chris is a slow reader. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, with audiobooks, they read at their speed and everything like that. So uh, one year I started to switch to audiobooks. I read like 75 and then I got used to two times speed. Like I started gradually upping it. And yeah, I listened to books all day long. Last year I finished like 350 books. Um, and it's just on anytime I have a question. Anytime I have a question, I'm like, I bet there's a book about it. I bet there's somebody who has written about it. But I also try to read books from people I disagree with, like, especially politically, just because, you know, in my opinion, um, like we see too many like clips of people and quotes from people on Twitter. I'm like, well, if they wrote, wrote a book, I'm giving them 300 pages on average to fully lay out their arguments, the nuances and everything and give them a fair chance. And when I typically, when I read books by people I disagree with, I find that there's a lot I do agree with them on, even though that there's a lot I don't agree with them on, but it, it, it really humanizes them and shows me their perspective a little bit. So I, I always try to tell people like, you really got to read books by people you truly disagree with, you know? It's a great point to pull in different sources than their Venn, Venn diagram combines with your Venn diagram. And now you have some understanding of those angles. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool feature. When actually, I when you mentioned that, I haven't really listened to ever a full audiobook or even close to much. And is it do you listen to it all in one go, or how would you describe that? Oh no, 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 no. So I was I forgot what podcast. Like uh, even though I have a podcast, I, there's only a few I listen to, but. So every once in a while, I'll just be like, oh, this episode seems interesting. I'll just turn on a random one. I forgot what podcast. I want to say it was Shane Parrish's podcast. I read his book, Mental Models. And then I was like, oh, this guy seems to, you know, have some good strategies for decision making and stuff. So I checked out his podcast. He had a guest on. I don't remember who it was, but something clicked for me. The guy said, because Shane was asking him how he reads so much. And he says, I read books like blog posts, Right. So he's like, I have like 10, 15 books in rotation and I read chapters like they're a blog. So he'll read a chapter here, put it down, read a chapter over in another book. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, that makes sense, right? Like, I think there's this misconception that if we don't read a book from start to finish, we'll forget things or whatever. Um, I, by the way, I take a ton of notes just to make sure I'm retaining stuff or I reread books and stuff like that. But anyways, that's why I started to do. So I usually have, 10 books in rotation. If I'm really into the book, like the book I'm uh, listening to right now by Maria Konnikova, The Confidence Game, I'm actually interviewing her 
for my podcast. So I decided to read her book again, but I love that book. It's about why people get conned. Uh, you know, they get uh, suckered out of money and all these other things. But anyways, I'm loving her book. And like, you know, I'll read like three, four, five chapters at a time. And then like, if I get bored, I'll go back to a different book on a different topic, da, 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 da. So that's, that's kind of how I do it. I don't, you know, I've, I've heard some people try it and they like, you know, they're like, nope, I'd rather just go start to finish. But, you know, I tried it. It works for me. And, you know, that's kind of how I, I keep things diverse too, you know? That's pretty cool. It's like a bold blog post, different way to think about it. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. One thing, actually, I just remembered going back to the eBooks and book writing. That's a lot. By the way, I like reading and writing. So this is a great category in yeah. the writing category. Uh, what, how have you written ebooks or what like uh, applications or mm. do you write it down or what's the way that you come out with an ebook? Yeah. So I use uh, to write books. I use the program called Scrivener. Have you, have you used that? Recently? I just like looked at it. Yeah, it is. It is a fantastic program. It's the one that all writers recommend, but it is so complicated. Like I'm still learning about it. I keep my stuff very simple. But um, mainly what I'll do is I'll write, uh, I write in like a, uh, like a Word document, like a Google Doc, because I have Grammarly, so it can check my stuff as I'm going. Um, I don't know if they have like a, like a word processing, like a good word processing tool in Scrivener. So I'll write it out there and then I'll copy and paste it over. But yeah, like, so, so those who are interested in writing like Scrivener, it helps you lay things out and format it. You can have little note cards. So like the, the new book I've been working on, I went in there and I put my whole outline, right? So like chapters, little sub ideas, I can write notes, you know, um, if I'm listening to a book and it has a study that I want to use in my book, I can pop open the app, like, cause you can sync it with your phone and add to notes and stuff. Like it has some really cool features, but like, I'm regularly on YouTube, like, how do you do this? <laughs> like it can do everything, but it is very complicated and confusing so there is a there is a learning curve and i'm at the the bad end of the learning curve still and i've been using it for a couple of years so uh but when it comes to just regular like blog writing and stuff i just do it in like google docs and use grammarly and stuff like that that's cool and informative one good thing about many of your descriptions is something about them is very practical to take away from so that's a nice feature mm. that's a good quality i think you're going to do that in any category you go towards because of the way you present things whereas some people they might go in the same categories but they'd leave out this element in all of them it's just not what they would put out there yeah that's fine now as far as the content on your show you have spoken with many different people academics and scientists and whatnot um who are some of the people that or do any come to mind as individuals where um you ended up going like a long episode that you didn't expect and it was enjoyable or you learned a lot. Do any come to mind where it really stood out? Oh man. Like so, so many of them, something I try to do, I, I try to take something away from every experience. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely people like, for example, I have an episode coming out today with uh, Lee Stein. She's actually a fiction writer. She's only the second fiction writer I've ever had on my podcast, but we, we talk about her book, uh, uh, self-care that dives into some social commentary, but, uh, aside from writing, she's also a writing coach, right? And she teaches people about writing the publishing industry and everything like that. And um, a lot of times authors are busy, especially when they're promoting a book. So I can only like get an hour, like tomorrow with somebody, I only have 45 minutes, you know, but um, some authors have more time. And like with, with Lee, when she was on, as we were coming up to the hour, I'm like, hey, when's like your hard stop? Like, cause I could talk to you like a lot longer. And off the top of my head, like, I can't think of many, but like, I know I've done that to quite a few people. I had, um, Another one of our uh, fellow podcasters, uh, Xavier uh, Bonilla, um, he has a, 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 God, what is it? Diverging Dialogues? What is converging it? Converging Dialogues. Yeah, Converging Dialogues. That's what it is. Yeah, great podcast. Converging Dialogues. Go check his podcast out. Him and I, I think that was my longest one. We talked for about two hours, but he can talk forever. He has like four hour episodes. But um, but yeah, I can I can talk with people like for a long time, like as an introvert, like I enjoy these one-on-one -on -one conversations. I like understanding why people think the way they do. I like 
getting ideas from people um, uh, because I've learned like that it's always important to question my thinking. So I like to bounce my ideas off them, get a different point of view. And, you know, it's not often that you get to have people who like, it's, it's, it's like, an, I don't, you know, I don't mean to exaggerate, but it, it truly is an honor to have people who have dedicated their life to a topic where I even have like journalists on, right. And they've done so much research and it's like an honor to just pick their brain, right? Like what things do you know that I don't know, or might be valuable to an audience, you know? And I think that's important too, because like, um, you know, especially for us as creators, like we spend a lot of time like writing and creating stuff, you know, and I, I, I think like something here, I'll say something that I don't think many people notice. I rate get ready for these people. Get ready. I rate literally every book, 99.9% of the books I read, I rate them five stars. All right. There's only been a couple that I haven't rated five stars. Um, but I, the reason I do that is because if you create content, especially if you write a book, that takes so much time and effort. And I'm like, who am I to not give this person five stars? Like sometimes these books take years to write. And then you include all of the knowledge they've gained over their life that has gone into that book. So I, I, I really respect what authors do. And just to be able to talk with them is like an honor. It's a pleasure. And I love those conversations a good point there and then also it might be let's say a couple of years and then during those couple of years they're not getting any public feedback because they can't put it out yet so then the whole time it's just them until boom this yeah. is now to the public but before then it's like i don't know i don't know you just get some local yeah, feedback exactly. i guess now going back to the writing these are all connected a little bit which is kind of cool yeah. you have written on substack quite a bit tell me about your writing of the past or when you got the substack and how the rewired soul.substack.com has been going uh it's uh it's been going decent i'll, I'll talk a little bit about that because i have some issues with substack that i've tried to be vocal about um but anyways yes. when i when i write like one of the things that make that gives me this urge to write where like for example this morning I was like at the grocery store listening to Maria Konnikova's book and like just this thing popped into my head and I get this urge to write because it always happens when I'm like nobody's talking about this right and you know not to my horn but I read a lot I read articles I listen to podcasts so when something like pops in I'm like how come nobody's talking about this it's like I've done my research and I've, I'm like okay, this is not being talked about. So I, I'm like, I need to talk about this, right? Uh, I, I feel like I can offer a different perspective or whatever, because uh, something that you'll notice with, whether it's podcasts, news, blogs, writing, whatever it is, is that there's usually, there's usually really only like two or three opinions. It's very rare that you'll find nuance in them, right? So like, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be grandiose about it. But I'm like, I, I have a, I have like a duty to put out a different angle on a topic, whether it's political, social issues, um, whatever it is, right? I'm like, I like, nobody's talking about this. Maybe somebody will just sit back and be like, oh, okay, maybe it's not a binary. Maybe it's not black and white. Maybe there's another way to look at this, you know? Um, so that's what really motivates me to write like for example just even with the new book i've been working on uh it's all about how we're we're so, we're like kind of manipulated in different ways without knowing it right like you know there's a lot of psychology around influence and all these things but with the recent like tribalism and everything um because none of us want to be manipulated but it's happening to us all the time so i'm like okay nobody's talking about these angles so that's kind of why i did but anyways back to the substack that's what really makes me want to sit down uh i write really fast <laughs> so so like I'll, I'll do like a thousand words in like 30 minutes to an hour and i just like put it out there you know i like i don't reread it i just put it out into the world because i've learned that quality is very subjective and i just toss it out there but as far as how substack's been going um something i've been very vocal about on twitter is substack is literally probably like the worst platform for promoting smaller writers like it 
It is awful. So prior to Substack, because I, I, I like to experiment, right? I like to try a bunch of different things. So I've tried publishing on my own blog. I've tried publishing over on Medium. And on Medium, I've had a few pieces go viral, right? And again, we, we all create something because we want people to see it. You know, we don't just like, nobody writes an article or a blog and says, I hope nobody sees this, you know, uh, unless it's a weird case. So I've had success with Medium. I've had a success with my own personal blog because it gets picked up by Google. But Substack, uh, the only ways that anybody really um, does well on Substack is A, if you're already big. Like, for example, Barry Weiss has a Substack. Barry Weiss like comes from the New York Times. She's huge. Like a lot of people know who Barry Weiss is and she has like her own authors on there, right? So she's already big and the Matthew effect kicks in. So she's big. So she's going to get bigger. The second way is if Substack by some act of God picks you like uh, for their once a week, like they do it like once a week, they promote random authors, you know? And it, uh, this might just be me noticing something uh, that might not be real, but it seems like they always choose like very traditionally attractive people and puts their like a beautiful headshot. But Substack, to get a little nerdy and technical, Substack does not really um, integrate with Google very well. So like if I write on my blog or if I write on Medium, if I, if I do it properly, people can still find it on Google. But Substack is not synced with Google. So if I write on Substack, not only am I not reaching people who are already on Substack because it's not recommending me, but I'm not reaching people on Google, right? Like there's a lot of benefits to Substack. Um, I, I like the fact that it's a newsletter. Newsletters are very important. Uh, you can monetize on Substack. So like for me, I have some people who subscribe, they pay $5 a month, they get early episodes of the podcast. Like there are a lot of benefits, but Substack could be doing a lot better. So the most, the most success I've had on Substack is through self-promotion. Um, so for example, uh, like my background's in marketing, so that's what I do. But I'll go on Twitter. If I see a big account, talking about something i'm like hey i just wrote something about this here here you go and trying not to be like overly spammy or anything but those are the times where my articles really start to get a lot of traction because maybe that person with a big account sees it and they share it or whatever it is so any success i have i've had on substack is purely through my own efforts so if anybody's thinking about substack just know that unless you're well established it's very difficult to get big on there i want to point this out i noticed it prior to substack even with when you were posting about reaching out or your elements of reaching out or when i even saw messages of you reaching out to others it would be right there in person and while maybe some would have that regard that you just had i would always think this is self-belief right here this is i would like to get my material out there hello who is going to work with me and that's that's like self-belief. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, it's uh it's one of those things like like I, you know, I get a lot of imposter syndrome and stuff like that. And I think for a lot of us who create things, like I always feel like the stuff that I write or create or episodes, whatever it is that does get a lot of traction, I feel like it's not my best work. Um, but when I feel like there's something important. Uh, so one thing, like if I write something and I'm like, I feel like this is important, right? I will go out there um, and I'll relate this back to my addiction recovery. So I'll tell you a quick little story. When I used to go to 12-step meetings, I would just sit there completely quiet and not say anything, right? I would just sit there and listen. And sometimes people would say something and like, I was like, I think I can help this person. or I think I can help change the mood of this meeting. Because sometimes you go to a 12-step meeting and everybody's very like, sad and depressed and trust me there's a lot of depressing stuff going on in 12 step meetings right. but i'm like hey let's talk about all the good things you know what i mean but anyways i talked to my sponsor and, and i told him about this i said i'm afraid to talk but i feel like i have something to say right and he told me like he reminded me like me not speaking up is selfish right like i'm only thinking about me if i don't if i don't promote what i have to say 
that's what's being selfish. It's not selfish to put my stuff out there. It's selfish to only think about me, my anxieties, my fears of being judged and all these other things. And that clicked for me, right? So that's what I personally do to overcome that imposter syndrome or not wanting to get stuff out there. So when I write something and I'm like, I feel like I have something to say, right? That I think is important that I think might be able to help somebody. I'll go promote the hell out of it. Oh, <laughs> I will, I will go and I will apply to tweets. I'll, I'll DM it to people who I know. And I'm like, Hey, you might be interested in this in hopes that they might share it and it gets some traction because I think it can help people. Right. Um, but that, that is like, mainly why but when it comes to uh like i'm not sure if you're referencing like i'll reach out to authors to get them on the podcast and one of the things is uh that i've learned from marketing and just being in this uh podcast world now authors are terrible at promoting their own stuff right a lot of authors suck at it a lot of authors are like academics and um in the publishing world like a lot of authors think that their publisher is going to do all their promotion and they don't um so if I think somebody has a really good book with some really important topics, I, re I, I try to get them on. I'll reach out. I try to tell them how much I appreciate what they wrote. And I think that their message needs to get out there. So I'm like, come on. Even if you're only reaching the small audience that I have, these are people where their lives might be really impacted by this. You know, um, I think a great example, and this is me getting kind of frustrated, uh, Michael Shore. Right. So he is a, a writer, uh, a comedy writer. He wrote like for The Office and Saturday Night Live, but he's like the creator of that show, The Good Place. He just released a book last week called How to Be Perfect. And it's it's one of the best books I've read on moral philosophy. He gets so much in there, covers a wide range of philosophers. It's funny. It explains why it's important that we care about moral philosophy and stuff like that. And I really want to have him on because I don't see him doing much promotion for the book. And I think it really needs to be read by more people. His book's probably going to be successful regardless, but I would love to talk with him about some of that stuff and uh, bounce around some ideas, especially because I can relate to how he stumbled into moral philosophy. So, so yeah, I kind of overcome my lack of belief by wanting to help people at the end of the day. <laughs> at the end of the day. It's your internal reach out of sorts. And you can see somewhere where you fit in. Like, this is something that I'm thinking. I've mentioned this before. Like, if we have those thoughts, when we go to sleep, it's just us that had that thought. Other people won't know we wanted to do this or do that. Yeah. So it's up to us to put that out there in some way. Absolutely. These are great, very, very practical elements here. Now, are there any, what would you say are the biggest um difficulties oh this is actually kind of related do you ever immediately when speaking with an author can you tell within 10 seconds of how connected you will be with them Very um so you know i i've had a few people just ask me this uh on the side uh or just how i'm able to talk with people and i'll tell you this the best uh the best training i've had for this was working in addiction treatment right um, it taught me how to be an active listener. You know, it taught me how to relate to people because when you're working in addiction treatment, like a lot of drug addicts and alcoholics, when we're getting sober, we have trust issues. We don't trust people. We don't want to open up. We don't want to tell people our deep, dark secrets of what's happened to us or what we've done to other people. And to get sober, you gotta, you gotta talk about this stuff. So I got used to um, having really deep conversations with people I'm just meeting. And the biggest, the biggest part of that is finding a way to relate to them. And uh, no, so to answer your question, no matter who comes on, my first top priority is like, how can I relate to you, right? And I have time to think about that when I'm reading their book, because whenever I'm reading a book, I don't care what the book's about. I'm like, how does this relate to my life? Like, for example, um, I've had authors on who are journalists and they wrote about QAnon, right? QAnon, all that stuff, that affects all of us, right? We have a friend, a family member uh, who believes in conspiracy theories or whatever it is, right? Uh, so I can connect with them there. Uh, if I have... Uh, uh, 
like an academic on who researches something like I have Steve Fleming on and he researches like self-awareness, right? Self-awareness was a huge part of my life. It's something I try to teach to people so I can connect and I'm, I'm really interested. So uh, I try to connect, I try to find what I can relate to somebody on and connect with them. It's sometimes it's something simple like, oh, we both have kids or, oh, we both have, you know, cats or <laughs> whatever it is. But I, um, I, I, I try to do that with everybody because in, since the world's so divided, we have to find things that we can connect on because we have so much more in common than we think. You know what I mean? And that's something I also had to do when I got sober because when I first got sober, I'm like, uh, I can't relate to anybody, but I had to search for it, right? And even though I couldn't relate to people's very specific stories, I could relate to how they felt I can relate to, you know, like just like the desperation, the sadness, whatever it is. So we can all connect when we when we want to. So I don't think like I've had authors who aren't very like, you know, charismatic, but I think I've been able to connect with all of them. I've never left a podcast like what a jerk or, <laughs> or like, oh, I had nothing in common with that person or whatever. Like um, and, and it helps. It helps me have a little bit more faith in humanity because I think we can really connect. I've had people on who I disagree with politically and stuff, and we connect like on a lot of stuff. So um, that's why I, I encourage people to just have conversations. You know what I mean? It's a strong statement right there. The ability to relate on the point of self-awareness. What are three words you would use to describe yourself, like characteristics that you really identify with? Oh, no. Um, I would say... Uh, curious um <laughs> uh like hopefully intellectually humble right and uh <laughs> yeah uh i i guess i guess nice <laughs> i try to be nice <laughs> i try to limit it to to just words but yeah like i i try to leave some room in there because we we're all just like trying to be the best versions of our well hopefully we're trying to be the best versions of ourselves i try to leave it open for the the inevitable mistakes that i'll make along the way you know what i mean you notice the difference in your curiosity versus the general public oh oh man armand we, we could that, that would take another hour or two it is something i was actually talking with um some uh some of my buddies uh, about on twitter the other day um fellow book nerds we all read like a lot of the same books one of them was actually bill sullivan he was a guest on the podcast uh he did a great book on genetics it's not even a a, a topic that i'm super interested in but i loved his book um, yeah like uh like he uh oh, oh we were talking about that curiosity right like we evolved to be curious like we wouldn't have survived if we didn't have this kind of thirst for knowledge but what, I, what I've noticed is, is that a lot of people think that they know everything, right? There's a great book that I'm about to reread. I forgot the author's name, but it's called Know-It-All Society, right? Like there's, there's studies they've done where when somebody has access to their phone, right? When they can access Google, they feel smarter, right? Because they can find something. But that's really strange since we know how much misinformation is out there and stuff like that. So we all, a lot of us feel smarter than we are. So I don't, I don't know because on one hand, it's part of being human that we're naturally curious. But on the other hand, we also think we know way more than we do. Like there's some great books like uh, The Illusion of Knowledge. Uh, the intelligence trap. I'm always trying to read books that keep me intellectually humble and remind me, uh, you know, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, like the book on like cognitive errors, right? Like it's part of human nature, but so many of us don't want to believe that. We don't want to believe we don't know that much. So like, for example, if we're talking about like anti-vaxxers, right? And they believe that they literally know more science than the scientists, okay? So I would look at that person. I'm like, you think that you're smarter than scientists, so you don't have curiosity. But that's not the case. They have a different type of curiosity because they might spend five hours researching conspiracies about vaccines. So I guess, I guess what I'm getting at and what I'm try I've been trying to figure out is I think people can follow their curiosity in the wrong direction, right? Like 
like you might just go down the wrong road of curiosity. Your curiosity is taking you to anti-science or conspiracies. So I do think everybody's curious, but we don't, we don't like challenging our beliefs. We don't like going against our confirmation bias and all these other things. So it's about, I, I think, you know, it's about managing our curiosity and knowing which road to follow with it. You know what I mean? On the internet, there are many different mediums with which to go towards our curiosity. Twitter's obviously liked. What other ones do you gravitate towards? My my main thing, surprise, surprise, is books, right? Um, because like so like I am I I really don't like all the fear-mongering about social media, like social media is destroying society. Like my my whole outlook on it is social media is not going anywhere. So let's all be smarter with it, right? Like one of my old meditation teachers, um, he said, like, social media is like a knife, right? So a knife. If I'm if I have a knife and uh, I'm cooking and I'm not paying attention, I'm going to chop my finger off. But if I'm paying attention and I'm very, being very mindful of what I'm doing with that knife, I can make a great meal, right? So social media can be great for connecting with people. You know, I've been able to connect with like researchers and celebrities and all sorts of crazy people. Like so I, I can, t me and you, we can talk you know, in, in different states. And you're one of the closer people I've talked to, right? I've interviewed people in Australia on the opposite side of the world. Like social media and technology can be fantastic, but if we use it in the wrong way, it's it's terrible. You know what I mean? So when it comes uh, when it comes to like, use, like using the right things, I try to go towards books because on social media, you see clips, right? Like we are... I don't even think it's our attention spans that are shortened. I just think we're lazy. Like it takes cognitive effort. It takes time. Like even though I read books, I listen to books at two times speed, that's still three, four or five hours sometimes, right? Whereas it's a lot easier for me to see a, a clip, a 30 second clip of somebody and judge their entire character, right? Than it is for me to go read the book that they wrote, you know? And then um, like, for example, the conversation about around misinformation with like the doctors who have been on Joe Rogan, it takes so like with all the studies they cite, you know how much time it takes for me to go and look at each study. Um, then I have to educate myself on how to analyze a study to see if it's even good. It takes a lot of work. You know what I mean? So my suggestion, if anybody cares who's listening, what I've done is I've read books that just break down the basics for me. Like I hate math and numbers, but I've read books um, on like how to assess data, right? And there's some just real simple rules of thumb. Like for example, when I'm looking at data, when I'm looking at research, when I'm looking at studies, one of the things I look at first, the first thing I lock in on is sample size, right? Like if somebody's citing a study and the sample size is like 10 people, like, well, we live on a planet with 7.6 billion people how representative is 10, right? So that's like an easy thing. So there are some books that will break down just like some real basic things that you can do to just know if you're looking at BS or nonsense. I love reading books um, by like Michael Shermer, uh, who's a skeptic, um, who, who teach me about, you know, just supernatural things. People believe in conspiracy theories, not asking the right questions and all that stuff. So I, I, I do... That's that's something I, I should probably do is make a list of just like books you can read that'll give you the basics <laughs> to find like good good information, follow your curiosity in the right directions. You know what I mean? You do that, by the way. Like, do you put um, uh, your books up on Goodreads or any listings or put them into uh, groups? I'm glad you asked. So yes, every every single book I finish, it goes up on Goodreads. That's how I keep track of how many books I read and all that stuff. So I am on Goodreads. I believe it's The Rewired Soul or it's just Chris Boutte. But every single Monday, I publish a weekly reading list. So all the books that I finished the week before, like I have a Word document where I'm typing in my reviews. So those reviews go up on Goodreads. Um, but every Monday, I release a reading list. It goes up on TheRewiredSoul.com. So yeah, so that's how I kind of keep track. And I write very short reviews. I just want people to get the gist. Like I don't write like an in-depth critique, like unless it's something that I feel needs to be. But mostly I just want the average person to know like, hey, 
do you like, is this book going to go over your head, right? Like since I read a lot of books by academics, I'm a college dropout, so I'm not an academic. So if a book goes over my head, I'll let you know. <laughs> I try to say like, hey, this book might be a little tough to read, but you can try it, whatever. Because I there's plenty of books I read where at the end of it, I'm like, I think I understand what they were saying, you know, like, so, so yeah, I, I do review a lot of uh, uh, every single book I read. So just follow me and find out. <laughs> like that you do the list of the nonfiction books every week and put it out there it's like organized and it's continuous and anybody can follow along things like that are organized and they're good for people that are maybe looking at what's coming out in a way yeah yeah i try <laughs> all these little items are helpful what are some uh, goals or plans for the rewired soul as we go into through 2022 uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure, like something that, so like just going back to getting canceled on YouTube, like when I was on YouTube, um, it, it blew up really quickly. I got like a hundred thousand subscribers within a year, which is insane. Right. Like I got very lucky and fortunate. It was paying me full time. And for a long time, you know, as somebody who's into meditation and Buddhist philosophy, I got very attached, even though like <laughs> it's supposed to be non-attachment, I got attached to those numbers and that success. And when I started this podcast, I, I just said, I'm doing this because I like having conversations and maybe other people will be interested. When I write my book reviews, when I write stuff, I'm like, maybe it'll connect with a few people, you know? So when it comes to like my goals, I, I try to keep my expectations low. Like, of course, I want to reach as many people as possible. Um, it is like, even though I, I you know, uh, I try not to get too attached to the idea of getting like big authors on. Like, it's always like kind of cool, like, whoa, you know? Um, but mainly I'll tell you this. Um, and don't, don't tell any of the big authors this uh, because I see everybody as equals. Like everybody is just a human. We all eat, sleep, you know, whatever. <laughs> but the main reason I, I like getting big authors on is just for the credibility, Right because people then look at my pot like so if i'm reaching out to a different author you know and I, i'm not saying the big authors are bad by any any means but if there's another author that i really want to talk to they can look at my roster and they'll say oh he got that person on so then i'll come on you know what i mean so that's the only reason i care about that um and one good thing about podcasts too uh that's different from youtube like on youtube you can see how many subscribers, you can see how many views. On podcasts, it's all anonymous. I might be getting a million listens or I might be getting one listen per episode and nobody knows. <laughs> so, so yeah, I just want to keep having interesting conversations and uh, you know, presenting those conversations to people who care. It's a great point you bring up there about uh, how you can reach more with that individual. And most people wouldn't even say that part. I don't know why they wouldn't, but I just feel like they wouldn't. But <laughs> I'm <it's>... transparent. <laughs> informativeness is the only way that's the only thing that will resonate with others because the other person who keeps that out you know they're keeping something out so you're like how much can i take from this yeah it's just not relatable in a way what is one message you would want all people to take from the concepts brought out in the rewired soul uh mainly like my i have two two or three main goals like one of my goals one of my goals is just to encourage people to be curious and to learn because, you know, for lack of better words, we're all stupid. We don't know everything. So just be curious. And I hope bringing authors on makes somebody say, oh, that's an interesting topic. Maybe I'll read their book. So one thing I want people to be curious and to learn. The, the second one is like that, I, that is one of the more important ones is to have conversations, right? To just talk with people. There's I like something that breaks my heart on a daily basis is how much we judge people, especially from different groups, right? From different political groups or different belief systems or whatever, how harshly we judge them without ever even talking to them, you know? So I hope something with my podcast, it, it, it encourages people to just have more conversations, you know? And then like, you know, lastly, it's just like to give people like, uh, I want people to see like, you know, you can give people the benefit of the doubt. You can talk with them. You can be curious. You can ask them. Like curiosity isn't just about learning. It's about learning about other people and asking them, like, why do you believe what you believe, right? Like 
um, you know, I don't really have a reason to bring an anti-vaxxer on, but if I did, it'd be like, why do you believe what you believe? Like we were talking about connection earlier. Um, I don't look down on anti-vaxxers because my drug of choice was prescription opioids. And if you know anything about the, the opioid epidemic in the United States, it's been fueled by big pharma. So if an anti-vaxxer tells me that they don't trust big pharma, boom, we can relate, you know? Like a lot of us don't trust money in politics or money coming from big pharma and stuff. So I, I hope we can realize that the people we disagree with aren't just inherently evil, but based, just like us, based on all of their experiences, they, have, they are now the person they are today with their certain set of beliefs. And through those conversations, we can kind of uncover that. So we don't have to be a jerk to everybody. We can realize that maybe they just had different experiences than us, you know? So that's kind of what I hope people take away from some of the stuff. That's a great set of messages there. I'm going to take away quite a bit from the earlier elements that are practical to what I do, but also there are messages for the listeners to take away. May this conversation continue forward in some future context. At this time, Chris, I would want to thank you for having joined on this episode and presenting a wide range of topics and joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was, this was a blast. You had great questions. I loved it. Thank you. And we are out.